Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. It's a beautiful day here because we had the typhoon yesterday, all night. What rain! And uh, today, um, like many times after the storm, there's not a cloud in the sky, just blue, blue sky. Right? That's like our zazen. Right? One minute it's a stormy. You say, "What is this all about?" Uh, and the next minute, uh, not a cloud in the sky. And your, your mind is clear and it's all obvious to you. And uh, thank you all for being at home. We are uh, continuing our study of the Bodhisattva of being at home, uh, Vimalakirti. Uh, we began last time and uh, we're going to continue this time with a very interesting part of the story. And I emphasize again, it is a story. It's not a historical record. It's a book someone wrote. It may be based on somebody who was a real person, but as you can tell, most of this is a drama. That doesn't mean it's not true, however. In the story, there are many profound truths. And part of our task is to realize that some of this is just a kind of fictionalized, idealized character. And some of it is to realize that this story is trying to teach truths that are as true as true can be. So one of the things is when you read a story, it could be Indiana Jones, or it could be the new James Bond movie or whatever it is, you have an idealized figure who, I mean, James Bond, you know, he falls out the window 20 feet, 20 floors, and he lands in his car and he drives off. Nobody does that, but it's a story, you see. Indiana Jones, you know, whatever's happening, he's being chased by the uh, somebody and he's fine. He does things that are humanly not possible. This story too. So I think when we read something like this, we have to keep in mind that it's presenting a very idealized image. But in that idealized image, there's truth. And let's try to keep the two, how to say, realize which is which in the story. The other thing is, this is about something that seems impossible. He presents this way of seeing the world beyond all distinctions, in emptiness, in wholeness, where there's no separate people. There's no right or wrong to do. You're going to see all this story. And yet he's saying that somehow he manages to do this while living in this complex, sometimes beautiful, sometimes ugly world. So this is a lesson for us uh, in exactly that. 
how do we live our lives in this world of people, some of which are difficult, problems, also good things, but yet he's presenting this image of Buddhist truth that seems to be somehow beyond all that. And I think when we read the story, you're going to see that the trick is, that's our practice or the trick, is to see how the two fit together. And when you can manage to get the two to be, I, I like to say, two sides of a no-sided coin. Okay? Then you really got something. But if you think, oh, I'm living in this world and I must also be this perfect, strange person he's describing that doesn't, I'm not in this world. I'm in this world, but somehow like him, I'm not in this world. I think you're going to misunderstand the point here. So let's get into the story. And this is uh, chapter two, where the Milikirti takes on all the Arhats. So there's a reason why he's besting all the Arhats. This is one of those books where the Mahayana guy wants to say that the old style of Buddhism was uh, not as good as the Mahayana. You're going to see that a lot of Vermilakirti's words are actually kind of criticisms on traditional uh, South Asian Buddhist practice. Now, you could say to yourself, wait, doesn't that mean that the Mahayanas are criticizing the Buddha because the Buddha taught these traditional practices? And the answer for the Mahayana Buddhist is, no, no, no. The Buddha taught many things. Those practices were good for people who need those practices. The Buddha also taught these other practices for people who need these other practices, like uh, Mahayana Buddhism, like Zen Buddhism. Buddha taught all of these things. We're only criticizing them from our point of view, but some people need that. That's how the Buddhists harmonize these criticisms. But it's not only that. Next time, next month, we'll see that Vermilakarti does the same thing. He also defeats, he bests all the great bodhisattvas, which is amazing. Canon tosses Canon left, tosses Maitreya right. Nobody can beat this guy. You know, if this was a professional wrestling match, you know, cage match, you know, he'd be tossing the guys all out, you know, and the left, the one left standing is Vermilakarti, which is amazing because he's not a monk. He's not a bodhi, great bodhisattva. He's just a working man. Kind of wealthy guy too. Yeah? So you're going to see all these guys are afraid even to go talk to him. That's how much his reputation is like this. So it begins like this. At that time, the rich man, that's what it says. He's rich. The Milikirti thought to himself, I am lying here sick in bed. Why does the world honored one in his great compassion fail to show some concern for me? And the Buddha, aware of this, they got the kind of a psychic link here, said to Shariputra, you must go visit Vermilakirti. Well, as I discussed last time, Vermilakirti, it turns out, is not really sick. <laughs> At least not in the body. He's not in the mind. 
maybe in the body, he's getting old, but not here. And he did this to get everyone to come and gather, like my grandfather used to do. When I'm having a heart attack, the whole family would come, We and then he'd suddenly get better, and we knew he just did it so we would all gather. Is this something you should not do in Buddhism? We have a concept called upaya, which means expedient means, which is kind of a, it's okay to tell a good thing that's not quite true if it's to get a teaching so someone understands. So uh, he gets, uh, he says to everybody, I'm sick, I'm sick, please come. And they all are going to come gather, but everybody's afraid. The first one who's afraid to come is our friend Shariputra from the Heart Sutra. Oh, Shariputra, you know, that guy. And we saw that Shariputra is kind of very analytical and uh, understands things in an intellectual sort of way. But in here, uh, he was also doing his meditation, his uh, Zazen. And maybe his Zazen was in order to, you know, achieve something, to quiet the mind. It's a, uh, a goal-oriented Zazen. Or maybe he's sitting trying to become enlightened, to trying to become an Arhat, trying to become a Buddha. And Vermilakirti says no. Now here it sounds like Vermilakirti is saying, you don't need to sit. And some people take it that way. But in other parts of the story, they're sitting. So I don't think that's the, the meaning. I think the meaning here we'll see is don't sit for a goal and don't only sit. You have to take this off the Zafu into life. So Shariputra replied to the Buddha, world honored one, I am not competent to visit him and inquire about his illness. This is the great Shariputra saying this. Why? Because I recall one occasion in the past when I was sitting in quiet meditation under a tree in the forest. Okay, picture this in your mind. It's time for the movie to have a flashback. Flashback to the scene. At that time, Villa McCurty approached and said to me, Ah, Shariputra, you should not assume that this sort of sitting is true quiet sitting. Notice he didn't say sitting. He said this sort of sitting is true quiet sitting. He's trying to maybe quiet his mind. But quiet sitting means that in this threefold world, that means the whole complicated world, you will manifest neither body nor will, neither body nor mind and desires and judgments. Already we're meeting something that doesn't make sense if you take it as a one-sided statement. How can you live in this world without a body? How can you live in this world with no will, no uh, choices, no likes and dislikes, no desires at all? I'm going to tell you right now, I think it's impossible. It was impossible for Dogen, it was impossible for Vermilakirti, it was impossible for the Buddha. You cannot live in a world of bodies without a body. You cannot live in a world where I have to make choices just to get out of bed in the morning or right and wrong without making choices. I have to have some preferences. Otherwise, I'm going to 
stick my hand on the stove instead of not sticking my hand on the stove. You have to have preferences. So what is he talking about? Can, is he talking about you should have very few preferences? Maybe you should keep them under control. But I think what we're going to see here is he's always talking about this two-sided coin. You must live in a world of preferences and body, but not be the prisoner of the body, not be a prisoner of your preferences, not be a prisoner of your desires. Keep your desires moderate, keep your preferences moderate, and learn to see through it all at the same time to the world that has no preferences, to the realm that has no desires. Everything's just satisfied. There's nothing to lack. So do all of that. So manifest neither body nor will in this world, he said. This is quiet sitting. Not rising out of your samadhi of complete cessation, complete stopping, and yet showing up in the ceremonies of daily life. This is quiet sitting. Is he talking about being a zombie? You're just going to be in total, complete cessation samadhi and somehow in this world. I don't think so. He's talking about know this complete cessation samadhi where everything is at peace and at rest and live in this daily life that's rarely quiet. You see, we have to know both sides of this coin as one. By the way, speaking of Upaya, Upaya Zen Center is also having their ango. They're having a series of talks by coincidence on Vamila Kirti. Uh, I haven't listened to them yet, but to check them out, you'll get some other uh, interpretations of this if you have some sometime. So Vimilakirti continues, not abandoning the principles of the way, yet showing yourselves in the activities of a common mortal. This is quiet sitting. How do you engage in the activities of a common person, but yet you're also manifesting these principles of the way? This is our practice. Your mind not fixed on, inter on internal things, your inside worries, your inside feelings, your fears, your memory. You're not fixated on that. And yet, you're not engaged with externals either. This is quiet sitting. Uh, Hui Nang in the Platform Sutra says uh, that our practice is not bound by what is inside nor captured by what is outside. I think that's uh, something, I'm paraphrasing, right? We have things going on in our cells, but we don't become their prisoner. We don't let them strangle us, our fears, our anger, our frustrations. Outside, a lot is going on. And of course, we're involved in that, but we don't get uh, overly strangled and caught by that too. Unmoved by sundry theories, but practicing the 37 elements of the way. Those are the elements you would imagine from this way, things like generosity, patience, forgiveness, goodness, like that. There's a whole list. You, you know what, the stuff we considered good behavior. 
is uh, the 37 elements. Now here's the line I love. This is the whole trick right here. Listen to this. Entering nirvana without having put an end to earthly desires. This is quiet sitting. And this takes much of traditional Buddhism and just explodes it. Because it's not supposed to be possible to enter nirvana and maintain earthly desires. So somehow having nirvana, but yet not putting an end to earthly desires. Wow. If you can do this kind of sitting, you will merit the Buddha's seal of approval. Okay, movie comes back to out of the flashback. At that time, world honored one, when I heard him speak these words, I remained silent, for I had no way to reply to them. I was astounded. I am a practitioner of traditional Buddhism. I'd never heard of such a thing. Zazen, uh, nirvana, and desires at once? Wow. That is why I am not competent to visit him and inquire about his illness. So our Zen practice still based on this, the fact that we sit and we realize something that is beyond all desire. We have equanimity. Everything is as it is. Even the separation of separate things, me and you and all the other things in the world, some are good and bad. It all kind of becomes swept up in this beautiful wholeness, right? And yet, you would think, is that nirvana? According to Bill Miller-Kirti, then we come back to this life of me and you and good and bad things and complexity, and they're the same. They're two faces of the no-sided coin. And our practice is to understand that, you see. Usually we have problems or some difficulty in life, and we think it's just a problem and difficulty. And we also experience through our practice this other realm of no problem, man. <laughs> And we got to figure out how the realm of no problem, man, and this world of problems are the same. That's his message here. That's our Zen practice. Shokai, our friend here, is, uh, had uh, some dental work done recently. So uh, I'm sure you were sitting in the, uh, the dental chair thinking of the world without, where no one needs dental work. Okay. Now we go to another Arhat who also uh, gets uh, bested. This uh, Magdalaniana, uh, I was looking at who he is. He was famous for his mystical powers and various things. But here he's just teaching traditional teachings to some lay people. And again, Vermilakirti and goes, hey, uh, Magdalaniana. No, 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 that's not real teaching. What is real teaching? Ah, uh, Magdalaniana. When you expound the Dharma for the white-robed lay believers, he's preaching to lay people, you should not expound it. You should not teach it in the way you are doing. First off, the Dharma knows nothing of living beings. Who are you teaching? Huh? Because it is removed from the defilement of such concepts as living beings. And the Dharma knows nothing of I. So who's doing the teaching, man? Who are you teaching and who's doing the teaching if there are no living beings, no I? 
because it is removed from the defilement of such concepts as I. And I guess you're teaching them about uh, rebirth and future lives. Well, it knows nothing about a lifespan and it knows nothing of birth and death. This is pure Mahayana. There's something beyond coming and going. We live in a world of coming and going, things born and things die. But in this wholeness, we know something that is right there in the coming and going that's kind of beyond coming and going. That's what he's talking about here. The Dharma is without characteristics because it is without anything that can be perceived. If you see something, that's you seeing something outside. But it's beyond anything separate to see. It's beyond even a seer. So he's saying it's without anything that can be perceived. The Dharma is without names and appellations. We give names to things. Tree, Chris, tea. By the way, guys, help, help yourself. Have some tea if you want to. Uh, you guys at home, if you could come over. We got tea here. Uh, help yourself. So it's got all these names. We divide the world into names. Friend and foe and my house and my cat. In the wholeness, there are no names because there's no things. You think I made all this up. It's right here. You know? I didn't make this up. It's right here. It's in black and white. In words, by the way, notice this. It's a guy giving a teaching in words. This is the catch we're going to get to in a second. Because it is cut off from all language. The Dharma is without any expounding, any teaching, because there's nobody to teach, nothing to teach. Because it is removed from the broad or the big or small thoughts of the mind. Amagdhyana, since the characteristics of the Dharma are such as these, how can you teach it? Expounding the Dharma means no teaching, no expounding, no demonstrating. And listening to the Dharma means no listening. Huh? It is like a conjurer of phantoms, a magician, expounding the Dharma for phantom persons. It is with this understanding that you should expound the Dharma. Okay. Now, obviously, though, there's a problem here. Because isn't Vimalakirti a guy who, in words, is lecturing to another guy? This is, again, the two sides of the no-sided coin that we practice. These are teachings in words about something beyond words. These are teachings for people to listen, for them to realize a wholeness so grand that what they thought of as their separate self is not the only way to experience them. It's a teaching for people about living well in this world of living and life and death, while at the same time giving them this other side of the coin that is beyond anything needing to fix or life and death. And you thought that Zazen was just a relaxation technique. It's telling us about this wholeness of the universe that is the ultimate relaxation because how to say it's the peace of all peace because when you have no separate pieces it's only peace copyright that <laughs> i copyright okay all right this life is filled with all the broken pieces round and sharp but yet here we have a piece that's so one piece it's just peaceful like that okay so, uh, so Magdalena, of course, is terrified, silly. Then we get to Upali. Upali is Mr. Rules. 
He's the guy, traditionally, Ananda recited the sutras by memory at the first gathering of uh, after the Buddha's death. And this was the guy who recited from memory all the rules of behavior of the monks. You know, what kind of clothes they can wear, what kind of beds they can have, you know, good and bad behavior. And again, He's lecturing now, Upali here is lecturing two monks who broke some rule. And by the way, very serious for any monk, even a modern monk, to break any rule. He's not excusing rule breaking here. He's not saying, oh, the rules are all in your imagination. Go out and rob a bank or, you know, go out and hurt people. He's not meaning that here. But he's saying if you just lecture them on rules, that's only one side of the two-sided coin. So Vimalakirti said to Upali about some monks who had broken some precepts, when all living beings gain an understanding of the nature of mind, then no defilement exists. Ah, Upali, deluded thoughts are defilement. When there are no deluded thoughts, that is purity. Topsy-turvy, upside-down thinking is defilement. When there is no topsy-turvy thinking, that is purity. Belief in the self is defilement. When there is no belief in the self, that is purity. All phenomena are the product of deluded vision, like dreams, like, like flames, like the moon in the water, or an image in a mirror, all born of deluded thoughts. One who understands this is a keeper of the precepts. One who understands this is called well-liberated. And I think what he's saying is there's a place where you cannot break a precept. As I like to say, you cannot kill anyone because there's nobody to do the killing, nobody to be killed separate, and there's no life and death, so you can't kill. You can't rob a bank because there's no bank and no you to rob it. You can't, and there's nothing lacking anyway. So there's nothing to steal. This, look, this is what we think. This is our Buddhist practice, okay? If you don't like it, go become a Mormon or something. What am I gonna tell you? This is what we believe, okay? This is our, this is our deal, man, all right? So you got this thing where you cannot kill, you cannot steal. And, and the real breaking of uh, precepts, the real defilement is when you have a world that you divide up in pieces. Now, is he saying, oh, in that case, and some Buddhists have taken that, oh, it's okay, then I can go rob a bank because it doesn't mean anything. That's not what he's saying. We have to realize these two faces of the no-sided coin again, this world where no precept can be broken, but yet here in this life, we try to be as nice people as we can, okay? Please don't rob any banks. Even though there's no bank, there is a bank. Please don't rob it. Okay, one next one is uh, Rahula. Uh, you may know as this, the Buddha's son. The Buddha's son uh, could have become a king of the kingdom, but he came to uh, join dad's business. You know, it's kind of a father. That's a joke. Okay. It's not a business, but he, he, he joined dad. Okay. Uh, so Rahula is telling somebody you should get engaged. Uh, not engaged, uh, ordained and become monk and a home leaver. And this is important for us because here, Vimalakirti says, oh yeah, it's good to become a monk, but do you know what the real home leaver is? And he's looking at us. Home leaver is here in your head. 
in your heart. That's what we're going to read now. So you're telling these guys, Rahula, that they should leave home and become monks. By the way, they were a little underage. The, the punchline of the story needs a little explaining. They turn out, I think, to be teenagers, and they can't do it without their parents' permission. So at the end, Ramila Kirti says, look, you really don't need to get your parents' permission. Just do it here and in your heart. That's the punchline here. So let's read it. You should not speak of the benefits and blessings gained by leaving the household life. Why? Because to be without benefits and without blessings is to leave the household life. I think that's a strange translation. It means something like to be without need of getting some payoff, some profit. To be without need of some blessing is to be truly free, is to have left the household life. You understand? Like that. To leave the household life, to become a monk, to get something, to become Buddha, to whatever it is, some treasure, you're not free. To truly be free of the need for any profit, any gain, non-gaining, to be truly free in that equanimity. Oh, you've left household life. Even in the house, with the cat crying and the cat hungry and the wife complaining and the dishwasher broken. Okay, like that. Why? To be without benefits and without blessings is to leave the household life. In the realm of the unconditioned, you know, that, that, that place, there are no benefits. Don't need benefits. Don't need a dental plan, Shoka. There are no blessings. Don't need any blessings. It's blessed. You're blessed, man. We believe that this is a blessed place. I mean, it's a good place. Even when the dishwasher's broken, even when you got bad teeth, it's still a blessed thing. Rahula, leaving the household life is not that. It's not this or in between. It means not troubling others, but removing oneself from sundry evils. Okay. All right. Don't be a pain in the neck to others and don't be very evil yourself. Don't be evil yourself. I shouldn't say even very evil. Don't be evil. Uh, refuting the non-Buddhist doctrines, believe in Buddhism, transcending the realm of makeshift names, shaking off mud and defilement. We get rid of the mud and the dirt, but even in this world, it's still muddy and dirty, man. It is without ties or attachments, without personal possessions, without thoughts of possessions. This is the rich guy, Vamilakirti, with the family talking. Remember that. So what's he mean? Getting rid of possessions, getting rid of attachments, and ties. He's got ties. He's got attachments. Be free of your ties. Don't be their prisoner in a world of ties and people you love. Don't strangle them. Don't let the whole situation be free in your heart, even in a world of commitments like that. Be free of possessions. Don't be hungry because I must get more and more and more. Possess, possess, possess. I must clutch onto my possessions in a world of possessions. Be free of possessions, even while you have some possessions. I'm keeping my cat. I'm gonna get the dishwasher fixed. Okay, it means harboring joy within, guarding the minds of others. I think that means something like taking care of, I'm not sure what that means. 
pursuing the practice of meditation. Oh, wait a second. That was the guy 10 minutes ago was telling us not to meditate. This guy talks out of both sides of his no-sided mouth. He just told us not to meditate. Now he's saying to practice meditation and freeing ourselves from all fault. If one can do all this, if one can be the rich guy who gets the camel through the eye of the needle, that's that other story, you know, then one has truly left the household, even in your own kitchen. Got it? But if you think he's saying about living a normal life, but truly living without names, living without thoughts of separate things, living without judgment, it's impossible. We're, we, we're not built. You, you can't. You cannot live a life as a human being that way. So we must see the world both as one. You should set your minds on attaining anyutara, Samyak Sambodhi, supreme and complete enlightenment. The big Satwari, the big Nirvana. We got this lovely word, Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. I love that. Supreme, complete enlightenment. You are a perfectly enlightened being right here down in your messy life. That is the message here. This is the same as, notice he doesn't say this is, this is the same as leaving the household. This is the same as taking monastic vows. Our job is to figure out how these two fit together as one. That's why we got show. That's what I got for you this week. Any questions? Please, this is two-way technology. I always brag about it. You got to have a question, a comment, question, a complaint, a disagreement. If you go to a Paya Zen Center and you hear a talk on this, maybe they're giving a different approach. You know, it's, it is literature and different people can present it from different angles. Maybe all correct. Anybody? A hand raised? I think uh, the part of that story that really jumps out for me at, at this, for the time being is, is the part where the, the monk is trying to, you know, teach some lay people he's using these these you know imperfect frustrating incorrect words <laughs> like and i'm not sure i have a question so much as just that really resonates like it, it reminds me of uh uh is it kyogen up a tree that koan where there's the the kyogen is up a tree and he's like holding onto a branch with his teeth and his feet won't reach the branch underneath. And he's, yeah. if he lets go of the branch, if he opens his mouth, he will fall. And then, you know, some, some person, you know, I, I kind of picture them as being a kind of a wise guy, right? Like they see this poor monk up a tree and they, they walk underneath the tree and they're like, hey, it's the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West. 
and he has to answer and lose his life, or he cannot answer and save this life. Like it's a it's a daggone if he does and daggone if he doesn't. <laughs> like I mean, I, you have to use these imperfect, frustrating, not right words. You have to open your mouth and fall. I just spoke for 40 minutes about a 200-page book that says there are no words and nothing to teach. <laughs> Figure that out. That is a koan. Yes, James, waving. Hello. Greetings Hi. from Thailand, land of monks. I'll tell you what I learned about why people become monks here. To make their moms happy, um, their lives are screwed up, and they get, or, they got no, or they're old and they have no place else to go. Basically, that's... And maybe... One or two percent are actually there to learn, but actually they do get their life straightened up. <laughs> they learn ethic, and also if Vilma, this person you're talking, Vilma Kirky, had never existed, would what he said still be true? Exactly. And uh, by the way, Dogen may have said many times, an imperfect monk is still a monk. Like uh, I would guess, you would say an imperfect parent is still your parent, and we we have to bow yeah. to that. You know, but. Even if there's one out of a hundred who's a wonderful monk, that's wonderful. We, you know, uh, and even the other monks, they're just trying like you and me. We're not perfect. So everybody has their reasons for being there. Keeping mom happy, it's not a bad reason. Right, Chris? Right? Keep your mom happy. Anybody else? Okay, well, I guess we'll close the sutras then. And, and just, uh, I remind you, uh, sit Zazen, uh, that's Sid Zazen, that's not Zazen. Trying to attain this realization that there's nothing to attain, which I'm trying to express in words that has no words. And Sid Zazen experiencing this world of wholeness, then get off your ass after Zazen, get back into your kitchen and your family or whatever you need to do and take care of it too. And it all is one thing. This is Vermilakirti's way. Let us close the sutras. Thank you for joining us for the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.